Welcome to the weekly podcast for City Chapel at Slaughter Creek, the world's okayest church, right here in Austin. Get to know us better at citychapelchurch.com. We're so glad that you joined us today and hope you enjoy the message. Change that God wants to bring to our lives. What we mean by levels is not a not a linear progression. Uh, you know, it's not steps and ladders and stairs toward things. It is, in fact, levels of change deepening or really higher and higher levels that God wants to bring change into your life. And what what it does at each level, it empowers the next one. And so just to just to catch you up, uh, the first level is this level down here of environment. This is the things that are outside of us that cause us uh, to want to change. Uh, next are, is our behaviors, our thoughts, and our feelings. The, these behaviors and thoughts and feelings have um, dominance or they have supremacy over our environment. They affect our environment. And then our belief about our capabilities. This is our limitations. What we believe are the limitations within our mind. These will always affect and control our behaviors and then our beliefs, our, our belief system. These are the, this is the hardest one for us to identify, but the most powerful in our life. And finally today, I want to talk about our identity. This is at the top of the pyramid. This is at the top, the highest level of change, and actually the level that you and I don't have any control over. Uh, we cannot change our identity. This is what Christ does for us and in us. Uh, whenever we come to him. Now, before we come to him, our identity is already set um, as children of Adam and Eve. We are children of the fall. We are lost. We're broken. And that's our identity. And so we live out of that. We, we, we make decisions out of that brokenness. It, that little teeny little triangle up there affects everything beneath it. It has power to, to sway every other bit of our lives. And so, so as we talk about levels of change, we've been talking about how God wants us to change our environment. God wants us to change our behavior. But God also wants us to understand some of the higher things that are affecting the environment and the behavior. And so today I want to talk about the highest thing, which is our identity. And when we come to Christ... The Bible says that we get a new identity. Scripture says that if any man be in Christ, he is a new uh, creature, new creation. A brand new identity is given to us when we put our faith in Jesus. When we call out to him, when we receive salvation, uh, he gives us uh, this identity. But as I've noticed in, in my own life, that there is then a progression uh, that, that this up here can change, but this down here hasn't hasn't received the benefits of that change. Has anybody lived down here with this has changed, but this hasn't changed a whole lot? Okay, just me. Cool. Uh, me and Jonathan. All right, you and I. But all right. So what what the 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 issue at hand is that this change hasn't worked its way down through these different levels of our lives, these areas of our life. And so what I find, actually, as I've been thinking about and studying this, this concept, uh, which is taken from, from Bob Hemp's teaching that we're doing small groups in throughout the week. If you want to join a small group, this is a good week to do it. Every night of the week, we're getting together. We're talking about this right here. Well, well what, what I've noticed is that many of us, we start at this level and we work our way upward um, until we reach this place of belief where we have to then believe in the identity that, that God has established for us. Your identity will always establish your value. It, it will establish what you yourself worth. The, the value that you assign to yourself is based on the identity that you hold. 
And so today I want to talk about the identity that, that, that Christ is extending to us and the process that, through which we arrive um, at a better understanding of that identity. And so I want to look at Isaiah chapter 53. This is one of the classic prophetic scriptures about the Messiah. Isaiah 53 says, Who has believed our report, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he, Jesus, or the Messiah, shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness, and when we see him, there's no beauty that we should desire him. Instead, it says, he is despised and rejected by men. If anyone's ever been rejected, if you've suffered with rejection, <laughs> yeah, Jesus knows how that feels. Jesus was rejected by men. He was a man of sorrows. He was a man of sorrows. That's why God's okay with you being sad. Because he himself was a man of sorrows. He was acquainted with grief. And we, our response to him was that we hid, as it were, our faces from him. Man's been hiding from God ever since we sinned. We've been hiding from him. And he was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely, though, he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. And verse 5 is where I want to land. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. What I love about Isaiah is he will say what sounds like the same thing twice. He says he was wounded for our transgressions, and he was bruised for our iniquities. It sounds like he's just repeating himself. Isaiah does this a lot. This is his, his mode of really prophetic writing. And he's not, though, he's not repeating himself because he's actually saying two different things. He's saying he was wounded, that's one thing, and he was bruised, that's a second thing. Isaiah does this, too, in the famous uh, Christmas passage where he says, uh, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. If you were here uh, around Christmas time, uh, you would have heard about that, about how uh, it sounds like he's saying the same thing. A, son is born, a, a child is born and a son is given. But actually, he's two different things. Uh, and he's, he's looking at the same event, the birth of Jesus, and he is looking at it from two different angles. Uh, who was the child born to? A, a girl by the name of Mary. So she birthed the Messiah. But unto us a, a child is born is one, but unto us a son is given is another. So to, be, to birth something and to be given something are two different scenarios. So in the same sentence, he's pl placing a comma there. He's, he, he is painting a picture, uh, a 3D image, if you will, both of, of Mary's perspective that she gave birth to a child, but both of Joseph's perspective as well that he received a son. And this is important, uh, prophetically, if you read the book of Matthew, to understand the lineage, the line that Jesus came from, both uh, Joseph's line and Mary's line. So I'm not going to get too far into that, but let me just say that there are some things God wants to birth in you, and there are some things that God wants to hand to you. And but those, are, those are both received, though, by faith. Whatever God wants to do, he wants to do it through faith. And so I love Isaiah because he has these little nuggets where he, he gives us a 3D view of what he sees. And he looks down through the ages. He looks hundreds of years into the future. God reveals this to him, and he sees Jesus on the cross, and he's trying to describe Jesus. And his description of him is that he was, he was wounded He's a wounded Savior. He's a wounded 
God. He's a wounded Christ on the cross. A wound is, is, any, is, is any trauma that is to the, to the skin level, skin level trauma, that would be a wound. So when, before Jesus was even crucified, he was tied to a, a whipping post and he was beaten with the, what was called a cat of nine tails, which is a whip with nine ends on it that had sharp bits of glass and, and uh, uh, blades on the end in order that when you would, you would land the whip on his bare back, then it would, it would latch on and then, the, then you would pull it and shredding the skin apart, pulling the skin apart. And you, you, he, that happened 39 times. He was, he was whipped 39 times with that cat of nine tails. What did that do? That wounded him. It shredded his back until it looked like ground beef. It, it removed all of the skin. That's what woundedness is. Wounded, wounding is a, is a shredding of the surface level. It's trauma to the surface of the body. And Jesus, though, uh, Isaiah's looking into the future and he sees a man, he sees the Son of God, the Lamb of God being wounded, but he's not just wounded for any, he's wounded for a particular purpose. And he says, he, he notices that he's being wounded, but those wounds are doing something. He's being wounded, but he's wounded for our transgressions. On the cross, Jesus, yes, he's being wounded. He's being pierced with nails through his wrists and through his ankles. He's being pierced. His surface level trauma is on his brow, around his head with the crown of thorns, on his back because of the whipping. His surface has all of this trauma. There's all this woundedness, but the woundedness is for something. It's for our transgressions. A transgression is another word for sin. It's a it's one of the biblical words for sin. And so if we're going to talk about freedom, which we've been talking about freedom, we have to address the primary blockage to freedom, which is our sin. Now, in church, we talk about sin a lot, but we actually don't talk about it very well. We kind of throw it out there. You know, like if you've ever been to church, and you've seen the youth do do dramas. A lot of times, you know, they always focus on like two things, like or three things, like drinking, uh, cussing and smoking. They always, they always have a cigarette in their hand. I don't know why. The Bible doesn't say not to smoke. But anyway, it's like, it's like, it's, it's like we, 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 love to, we love to talk about sin a lot, but, 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 but very poorly. It's, it's these sort of, and, 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 and I think what it's just that we, we have an incomplete picture of sin. And in this passage, Isaiah is giving us actually a, a 3D view, a panoramic view of what sin is. And the first thing he notices is that Jesus Christ is on the cross and he's being wounded for something. And that is for our transgressions. And so the word transgression means um, to revolt or rebel. And it comes from the word um, to march or to step like out of line, to step or to march against an authority. And that's what sin is. Sin is to get out of alignment with God, which is why, uh, which is why sin is so damaging to us, which is why Jesus had to be wounded for our sin, because that's exactly what sin does. It wounds the people that work and operate in it. You cannot... Uh, step out of the authority of heaven. You cannot step out of alignment with God and maintain health in your life, in your spirit, man, or in even in your body. And so he was he was wounded for those things that wound us. I can tell you, you, you you're not you're not quite tracking with me, uh, because here's the deal. Uh, because and, 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 I, and I think it is kind of backward. We don't generally think of sin as bad for us. We just think of it as bad. 
like, 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 like our, our, our heavenly father up there, he made these rules, right? And because he's, he's a certain kind of way. And so he made these rules for us and, and we have to obey those rules or else he gets upset. But really, we don't want to obey those rules because honestly, it's better for us if we just do what we want to do. It's, it's kind of like what I'm trying to teach my seven-year-old, you know, that just because it sounds like a good idea to you, doesn't mean it's a good idea, like, you know, and, and this, is, this is just because he's immature. Uh, he thinks certain things are a good idea. I know it's not good for him. This is what sin is. See, uh, in Genesis chapter 2, the very first sin that's ever recorded, you have the first transgression, right, the first stepping out of alignment. God tells Adam and Eve, he says, look, you can eat of any tree of the garden, uh, any tree, except, he says, do not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which we're going to get into that into a few, in a few weeks here, but he says, don't eat of that tree because when you eat of it, I will be really mad at you. Oh, no, wait, no, no, it doesn't say that. When you eat of it, you'll be breaking my rules. No, no, he says, when you eat of it, you will certainly die. What is God doing? He is, he is letting his children know that their life source is him. And if you step away from your life source, you die. God's not trying to hem us in to make our lives more, you know, rigid and, and, and miserable. He's trying to make us have life. He's, he said, I came that they may have life and have it more abundantly. And then, and, and, and then he laid out this path toward life, which is connection with him. That's why Bob Hemp says that sin could be defined as the absence of God in the human soul. That darkness is the absence of light. God is light. So whenever we step away or out of alignment from him, whenever we walk away from him, we're not, we're not walking away from a set of rules and regulations. We're walking away from that which gives us life. We are choosing death. We often think of sin as like wrong, but not necessarily bad for us. And so what we have to understand is that, is that when we step out of alignment with God, it wounds us and wounds others. It destroys life. It takes away from life. And so Jesus was wounded for our transgressions. He was wounded for uh, our lying. He was wounded for our pornography use. He was wounded for our drunkenness. He was wounded for our uh, prejudice. He was wounded for our uh, outbursts of anger. He was wounded for our violence. He was wounded for the damaging words that we've said to other people. He was wounded for our bigotry. He was wounded for our, our slander. He was wounded for our gossip. He was wounded for the stuff that we do and say or have done and have said he was wounded for those things it's this transgression is the stuff the sin that you do it's this surface level sin and so he was he received surface level trauma to deal with our surface level problems and it's so important that you that you deal with that it's so important. I was, I was doing prison ministry a couple years ago here in Austin, and uh, me and Robbie, we'd go in, and we'd just sit and talk with guys, and, and, and like, we just walk into a cell block and just say, all right, so we're just pastors of City Chapel. We're just here to talk to you about God or church or whatever. And, and so we got talking with these, these two guys, and the one guy seemed kind of interested in God, and the other guy said, I don't really need God. Um, I kind of I got, got it all figured out. And it's interesting with somebody who <laughs> was in cell block C7, it says he's got it all figured out. I'm like, 
All right. Uh, you go. You, 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 you knock your... Yeah. So, so, I, so I said, okay, well, tell me. Tell me, what, what do you have figured out? And he said, well, see, like when you die, you're going to stand before God. And I said, okay. And he said, and then God's going to have like this giant scale kind of thing. And uh, on one side, he's going to put all of the good stuff that you've done. Uh, you know, and he's going to put it all on that, that side of the scale. And then on the other side, he's going to put all the bad stuff that you've done. He's going to put it on that side. And then if your good outweighs your bad, then, then you go to heaven. If your bad outweighs your good, then I really don't know what happens. Uh, you know, and so he, he, he had this idea. And I said, well, where did you get this? I, like, did you read this somewhere? Did somebody tell you this? No, no, it just, it just, just came to me. I said, okay, well, as valid as that is, I mean, as convincing as it is, I said, then let me, let me ask you a couple questions. Like, so if, if, if let's, just, let's just imagine you're right, there's this giant scale and like good stuff goes on one side, bad stuff on the other. Like, how much does your good stuff weigh? He just kind of looked at me. He's like, I don't know. Well, because scripture says that, that your righteousness is like filthy rags. Rags don't weigh a lot. You know, I mean, I think I had a, a Kleenex under here. So, so, so this is your righteousness. I blow your nose in it to add a little bit of weight. <laughs> but that's not, that's not going to do a lot. So I said, okay, you know, like the scale weighs more than your righteousness. It's, it's just going to, it's not going to, now, now how much does your sin weigh? How much does your unrighteousness weigh? He said, I don't know kind of looked around. So I think the U.S. government's got an idea. <laughs> like, what if it's like a rock, a pebble? A pebble's going to be more than like a hundred of these. Like, you could get a thousand of these. We could get all the boxes in here, take them out, stack them up, and then you do a couple wrong things. I mean, how do you? So I said, you're basing like your entire f- eternal future, and you don't even know how much stuff weighs. You don't even know the score. You don't know where the end zone is. You don't even know the rules of the game. I said, man, uh, if I were you, you might, you, you might want to go to Jesus. Because I was talking to somebody else here in Austin who, who's, who, who subscribes to a completely different religion. And, and he was talking to me about his religion, how it makes people more healthy in their bodies. It makes them more uh, peaceful because they, they do a lot of meditation. They're, it makes them kind because they're, they're disciplined people. And, and it's true. It's all very true. I said, man, it is absolutely right. Like your, your religion produces pretty disciplined people, pretty uh, kind actually, and nice and thoughtful people. I said, but what do you do with all the bad stuff that you've done? Like, who's going to erase that? Who's going to deal with that? And, and, and really, they, 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 there's no other religion on the planet that, that can actually wash away all the old stuff that you've done. This is, this, is, this is exclusive to Christianity. This is why a lot of other religions have to have reincarnation, because you can't make up for everything in one lifespan. So you gotta start over. You go, you know, if you do really good, then or better than bad, then you kind of go to this next level, and and then this next level, and then, but you, like, and there's just like this infinity loop that you're constantly thousands of years or generations later. I don't know. You're, you'll finally be good enough to get into heaven. But but the, the problem is, is because they don't deal with. They don't have any wounds that can deal with the transgressions. I'm thankful for the blood of Jesus. I'm thankful for the wounds of Christ that deal with all of the things that I have ever done. That when I came to him, 
I, I didn't have to live this life and then another life and then another life and then 30,000 other lives until I finally got it right. It wasn't up to me. He, there's no scale of good versus bad. It, it's already settled. My righteousness is like filthy rags. I need a savior who can hit delete on the record of wrong that is held against me. I can't do enough good to make up for the bad that I've done. I need a Savior who is wounded for my transgressions, who dealt with the bad stuff I've done, who, who worked to clean that and to wash that and to cleanse that and to purify that so that when I stand before God, we're not getting out the tissues. <laughs> I'm just going to plead the blood. I'm just going to say, I, you know what? There was a lamb that was slain for everything that I have done. And his blood weighs more than all of the wrong that I have done. I just, I, I, I just over my past, over my sin, over my transgressions, there was somebody who was wounded for that. His wounds brought healing to my wounds. His wounds dealt with what was wounding me. And this is what salvation is. If we, if we can put the levels of change up again, at the bottom level, honestly, is, is, is a realization. I think many of us come to God at the bottom of the pyramid uh, because we, at the, yeah, the bottom of the pyramid, because we have this woundedness in our environment. We have this woundedness down here. There's something kind of off. And for me, it didn't take me long to figure that out because I'm, I'm, I'm really smart. I'm a, I'm a smart, smart guy. Uh, when, when I was six years old, uh, I, stole, I stole some juicy fruit uh, from like the, the local liquor store and half, I got halfway home and, and God just convicted me that I needed to return the juicy fruit, you know. And, but that, that's a transgression. Stealing is a transgression. Lying is a transgression. Uh, rebellion, these kinds of things. And I started noticing that there was something a little off about me. And then, just in time, uh, the church we were a part of back in the 80s, they did a thing called um, Heaven's Gates and Hell's Flames. Has anyone had the, the pleasure of the joy? Yes, there's one. Wonderful. Oh, to, to have survived Heaven's Gates and Hell's Flames. <laughs> You like it is scared. The literal the, the hell will just go right out of you. You don't want any of hell's flames. It'll just it will scare you spitless. I mean, it's awful. Like like there's like three there's like three characters that die and they go to heaven and it's glorious. And then there's like three characters that die and they go to hell. Demons are dragging them off the stage. They're screaming. And like I was six years old and I'm like, holy cow, I just stole juicy fruit. I'm going to be with the guy who is smoking the cigarettes like that is so going to be me. Like, and so I was down. I mean, we did this five nights. We, we did it a whole week. I got saved five times. In that week, I came down to the front. Jesus, I don't want to go to hell. Jesus, I just want you in my life. I'm, I'm sorry I stole the juicy fruit. You know, I mean, like it was like it was tough. But honestly, when I look back at that, and even at the time, I didn't like like okay, fine. Like I got saved. I didn't feel saved because it was it was fear based. Scripture says that that the just shall live by faith, not by fear. So no one's ever been saved by fear. It's a great way to get people down to the front and to pray. And it's not necessarily bad because hell is kind of scary. You think about it, it's, it's scary. And so it's good to think about that every once in a while, but it doesn't lead to salvation because it just, it just scares you. 
salvation comes from faith. And so later on that year, I was in kids' church, and uh, I'm six years old, and we showed a Gospel Bill video. His name was also Willie George, and he was doing an object lesson, and he had this, he had this balloon, and he's like, this is like your heart, you know? And, and uh, he had this long needle, and he's like, this is like sin, and he, somehow he poked it through there without it popping the balloon, and, but it was stuck. It was coming through both sides, you know? And, and he's like, sin is, is there. Now if I try to pull this out, like the balloon will pop, right? And I'm like, yeah, so how, how are you going to get it out? Because once it gets in your heart, it doesn't want to leave. It doesn't want to get out. And, he's, and so he talked about the blood of Jesus. I think he had like Vaseline or some kind of magic trick thing. So he's like, he, you know, the blood of Jesus like applies this on your heart, and then you can take sin. He pulled the needle out. The balloon didn't explode. And that spoke to a young Harry. And Harry said, I want that because my environment is that I have some sin inside of me that I don't like and I don't want to go to hell and, and I see that Jesus can deal with that. And so at six years old, I decided to put my faith in the wounds that were for my transgressions. And scripture says that faith comes by hearing and hearing from word of God. Scripture also says, how can they believe in him whom they have not heard? So, so, ev- so the limits of your faith are aligned with the limits of your hearing about who Jesus is. And so at that point in my life, at six years old, I heard this about Jesus. His, he was wounded for my transgressions, and I put my faith in that. And because I heard that, I was able to, to change my belief system in that identity. My belief system shifted to the fact that, yes, Jesus was wounded for my transgressions, that I don't have to pay for the juicy fruit. I don't have to pay for the sin. Jesus Christ has already dealt with it on the cross, and he can remove that sin, cast it as far away from me as the east is from the west, and make me clean. And so I, I prayed with my cousin. She was down at the front. Tracy prayed with me, and, and I, quote, got saved. Like that's, and, it, and, 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 and things shifted for me. What theologians would call, I, I had the fruits of repentance. Uh, and in other words, you could tell it was real. You could tell it wasn't just a prayer. I began praying uh, on my own. I began reading my Bible. I began memorizing scripture, began going to prayer meetings with my parents. Uh, my parents were very involved in church, and so we began serving in church and doing all kinds of different things. And I'm eight, and I'm, I was baptized when I was seven, and then I'm eight years old, and I'm nine, and I'm, I'm 10, I'm 11, I'm 12 years old. God begins to call me into ministry, and, and I preached my first sermon. I was petrified. I was terrified. The passage was on Matthew chapter 5. I think it's verse 6 that says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And so right, even then at age 12, I was starting to get captivated with this idea that there's maybe more than just my transgressions. Because Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart. That's not hands. That's not actions. There's something, there's something he wants to do in here. And so I tried to stumble my way through preaching that and uh, lost my notes and messed it all up. And anyway, somehow I still became a preacher. So uh, even if you're terrible the first time doing something, just keep trying it. After 26 years, you'll, you'll, you, you, you might be able to do it. And so, and so I'm growing in my faith. 
and I'm learning. And I mean, God, God called me. I mean, I made a lot of commitments actually when I was 12. God called me not to date, which was really tough for me because there was like already two girls I really wanted to date. I really liked girls. And um, God's like, I don't want you to date at all. And I'm like, oh my goodness. goodness. And so, so I lay these things down. So I have, you know, a, a significant, I think, relationship with Jesus. I'm hearing from God. I had my first spiritual dream when I was 12, um, connecting with him. And, and, and all of this stuff is happening. And it's moving me. Honestly, it's moving me this way. My, my thoughts and my feelings, my behaviors are starting to align with his word. My beliefs about my limitations, my capabilities, though, were starting to stretch when I read Matthew 5. It said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And then when I was 14, the summer of 14, my pastor uh, started reading some old school books, like from the 1800s and even earlier, uh, stuff like uh, 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 Perfect Love by uh, Phoebe Palmer and stuff from uh, uh, Charles Wesley and John Wesley and many of the early Methodist uh, movement, uh, the revivals that kind of happened around this country and in England. Um, Charles Finney reading uh, some of some from the Welsh revival, reading uh, uh, the, the the intercessor. What was his name? Um, Reese Howells, Reese Howells' story. And we, were, we, were, we began studying all of these people who were good Christians, solid Christians, but they just realized there was something more. They just started to sense that maybe God wants to do more in my life than simply be wounded for my transgressions. And that's what we've been preaching about, actually. It's what this whole sermon series is about, is that there is freedom at a greater level than we've experienced before. And so for me... Uh, I, I began putting my faith in that. I began believing in that. And, 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 and the only thing I knew to do was kind of to work in this area right here. And so, and so uh, typically what, if, if I would do something wrong here and God would convict me, I would, I would repent of that and I'd try to do better. And so I just made that commitment to God. I said, anytime you convict me of things, I'm just going to repent right away. And what I found was that God was actually convicting me of things that were higher than my behaviors. He was convicting me of things that were deeper than that. They were, they were further, they weren't at skin level. Uh, they were things like my motivations for doing things. My motivation for preaching, say. Was I doing it because God was commanding me to do it and I really wanted to help people? Or was I doing it for that, but also because I was kind of good at it and people, people would give me compliments uh, was I, was I, uh, the, the good things I was doing, why was I doing them? And God's challenged me on those kinds of things. And things like, you know, why did you take a second look at that girl, right? Um, <laughs> things like that. Um, which, these are all still relevant challenges to a 38-year-old as well as a 14-year-old. Uh, because, because there is the sin of the transgression, but then there's something else. There's something in your mind. There's something in your heart. Scripture says that sin happens, transgression happens, when, when desire has matured enough in order to be able to do what it wants to do. But, but that, that thing that wants to do the wrong thing, like that's what God was beginning to deal with in my heart. He's beginning to speak to me. That, that Christ wasn't just wounded for my transgressions. He was also bruised for my iniquity. And see, a bruise is different than a wound. A bruise is trauma beneath the surface. A bruise is trauma specifically to the bone at the bone level. Your bones are, it's the skeleton, the skeletal structure of your body. It's the system, if you will, that holds everything up. It's the, it's, it's the form behind the function. It's the design 
It's the design behind the, the, the product. And this is the level at which Jesus was bruised. He was bruised beneath the surface. I, I fractured a rib one time in college, and it hurt so bad. You want to know pain? Like, just, just do something to your rib cage. Because every time you breathe, which apparently you do a lot, um, it just, I mean, it's awful. Now, now, I look totally healthy, not wounded at all, no blood. But I was in more pain than times when I've been bleeding, like bleeding out, you know, like I'm like, and, and it, it was awful. Well, that's what happened to Jesus. He was, he was bruised. He wasn't just wounded on the exterior. He was also bruised. And that bruising on the inside was for our iniquity. The word iniquity is different than transgression. Transgression is the stuff we do. Iniquity comes from the word um, to bend or to twist, and so it is, if you've lived very long at all, you've noticed that, that native to the human experience is this twist toward something, this bent toward something, this inclination toward something. And what you are inclined to believe, what you are inclined to do, often directs what you actually do. And Scripture tells us that from the very beginning, we have taken on the nature of our great-great-great-great-great-grandfather Adam and Eve, and we have received their inclination that because our parents were this way, their parents were that way, their parents, that in our bloodline is, a, is an inclination to sin, is a bent toward rebellion. And so the reason why the first time I saw the juicy fruit and I thought, wow, I should probably grab that, is because I had something inside of me that thought, if I don't like the rules, I should just break the rules. Anyone that's ever raised children, you know that this is inherently, this is just there. You don't have to teach them how to be mean. You don't have to teach them how to be selfish. Nobody had to teach me how to lie, how to cheat, how to steal. Now I had to learn how to do it better. But, but I, was, I was good at just, figure, just, just making it up. Because my natural inclination was selfishness. My natural inclination, this is why when I say that sin is bad for you, many of us don't believe that. Because our natural inclination is like, no, this is good for me. It's against his rules, and I get that, and I need to try to do it on the sly. But it's good for me if I can get away with it. But, but that's just because your, our natural bent and inclination is towards sin. And what the scripture says, Isaiah says, that he was bruised for our bent. He was bruised for our twistedness. And at 14, I realized that I could do all the good behavior I wanted to, but there was something else that kept getting in my way. There was this, this inclination that I had to always go against God. And on October 2nd, 1994, 14, and I, I had finally come, I, I came, came down to the front and um, uh, just, just to pray because I, God had been dealing with me in these different things. I remember I was on my paper route and I told God, wherever I am, whenever you speak to me about this, I'm just going to repent of it right away. And so that's what I did. Uh, I, was, I was on my paper route. I was at this blue house. Um, I, Peter and I had a paper route for seven years. And I'm riding my bike down the long driveway, and I stop, and God's speaking to me about these, these heart things, not action things, but heart issues. And, and so I put the paper in the box, and I go, go back to my bike, and I'm thinking, okay, well, I'll hop on my bike, and I'll just pray about it while I'm driving, because you can pray while you're riding your bike. And God's like, no, that's just because of your pride. 
you know, you need to like pray right here. Like at like in like in these guys' backyard. <laughs> so I'm like so I'm like, okay. And I'm kind of a uh, anyway, I was I was I was shy about that. And so I, I knelt down at my bike and just put my arm on the thing and they're probably wondering like what's wrong with this kid and and I just I just began praying. And I just agreed with God that this thing he was talking to me about was right. That I did have this iniquity in my heart. That my motivation wasn't pure. Blessed are the pure in heart. That didn't apply to me. I had mixed incentives for the good things I was doing. And I, and I felt in my soul that there was also a natural propensity to do this other bad stuff. See, your, your identity changes at salvation, but, but there, there, there comes a point in time, or there should come a point in time, where you actually align yourself with that identity. That you accept the fact that he wasn't just wounded for my transgressions, he was bruised for my bent. And, and, and that you can believe that God wants to bend you back that he wants to, to remove that, just like he cast away your transgressions as far as the east is from the west? Why would he leave your iniquity that he also suffered so deeply for? And next week, we're going to talk about um, oppositions to this kind of experience. Of course, one of the main ones is, well, you know, well, you know you're going to get into legalism. You know, people are going to get too holy. Um, which is a sincere danger, I know. Uh, many of you are right on the edge, and uh, it would just take just take a little bit to push you right off. Just kidding. Um, I've never met anybody that's near that edge. I don't know where that edge is. Uh, certainly legalism, you've got to stay away from that. Some kind of weird perfectionism thing. No, that's not what God has for you. But to say that God could do something in your heart that would remove the bent, the inclination towards sin... I think is not only true, it's something that needs to happen for you to experience the freedom, the level of freedom God wants you to have. Otherwise, you'll always be arguing with yourself. And so a good, a good example of this from a 14-year-old perspective was uh, shortly after that October 2nd experience and summer of 1994 came the winter of 1995 when um, I think it was probably the Buffalo Bills were playing in the Super Bowl. They played like all of the 90s. Um, and we were always cheering for the Bills. And they were going up against, I don't know, I forget who they were playing against. Um, and 14-year-old uh, yeah, boys are really into that kind of thing. And uh, I was watching the game, and one of the guys from the other team went down with a pretty bad injury. And my first thought was, oh, my gosh, you know, I began praying for him, began praying for his family, began thinking about, you know, how this means for his career. And I was just truly kind of just sad about him. They, as they were carting him off the field, the announcer said, wow, this is really going to leave a hole in the defense, you know. And that's my first thought is like, oh, this is actually really good for the Bills. And, 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 and it just struck me as odd at 14 years old because typically the year before, if, if somebody went down with an injury on the other team, you know, that's good. Jesus can patch him up later. Like, he just needs to get off the field for today. You know what I'm saying? Because we need to win this game. And so, you know, anything that's going to help us win, I mean, I'm all about it. And, 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 you know, now naturally, because I'm a good Christian, I wouldn't be like, yeah, break his leg. You know, like, I wouldn't say that. But I would sort of think that a little bit, you know. Hit him harder, you know. 
Like you, you're thinking that. You don't want to say it because good Christians don't say that. But so you're kind of arguing with yourself. You're like, shh, shh, shut up, shh, quiet, don't say it. Don't be happy about that, you know. Don't look at her. Don't, you know, you like all that, that, that kind of stuff. You're arguing with yourself like all the time, walking down the street, arguing with yourself. You're at work, you're doing schoolwork, whatever it is you're doing, it, there's this fight. And what shocked me, what stood out to me was that my first reaction wasn't like, yeah, this is great for our team. It was praying for this guy. I noticed my first reactions changed. So I'm not saying that I, I walked on water for the rest of my life and that I've never sinned since I was 14. That's not true. I'm just saying that God changed my first reaction. God changed my bent. Now, I still make decisions and I still have to choose every single day how I walk with Christ. But it's kind of like, I think it's First Peter that says that sin is at the door of the, of the sanctified believer, the, the saint. Sin is at the door. We have, we live in a farm. Several things are at the door for us. Currently, how many chickens? Something like 20, 16 chickens are at the door. A lot of poop is at the door. A lot of smells are at the, a lot of pecking is at the, there's a lot of stuff at the door. I'm happy to leave outside the door and not in my house. And that's the difference. Prior to that experience, prior to that that, that um, progression that led to an experience, prior to that, that thing that God did in my life, sin wasn't at the door. It was in the bedroom. The chickens weren't out there. They were wandering around in here. And it's a totally different experience trying to get a chicken out <laughs> than trying to keep a chicken out. It's a lot easier. I'm not saying you can't open the door and let chickens in. You, there's always that possibility. You need to choose every day. Don't let those chickens in, which is not a temptation for me. So this is a bad illustration. <laughs> Every illustration fails at some point. I just found it. But, but when it's outside the door, it's a, it's a choice. And I haven't always made the right choice. In fact, two years later, when I was 16, I, I didn't make the right choice. I chose to believe a lie. I chose up there at the belief level to believe that self-pity would be more soothing than truth. And so I mired, I mired around in self-pity, which led to depression, which led to suicidal ideation. And it wasn't good. You can let the chickens in. And trust me, when they come in, they'll just, they'll, the feathers and poop everywhere. You can let them in. But some of us, we've, we've grown up with them in the house. We've got so used to it that we, you don't even know. Like, what would it be like if this house was clean? What would it be like if my mind was free? If I wasn't arguing with myself all the time? What would it be like if I had freedom? What if Jesus was not just wounded for my transgressions? What if he was bruised for my iniquity? What if he died not just for the sin I did, but the sin I am? What I feel in my heart. And the good news is, the wonderful news is that he did. And that if you're at a place where you're ready to believe that and receive that, you can, by the same faith, I mean, this is the exact same thing, you can place your faith in a Savior who is able to bend you back, who's not able to make you walk on clouds, but is able to change your heart so that you lean into Him. Would you pray with me for just a minute? I just want to offer to you 
the opportunity, the chance to do that, to put your faith in Christ. As a, a, every head is bowed and every eye is closed, you may be in a different uh, place. You may, you may have never heard of him dealing with your transgressions. You may need to put faith in him to deal with that transgression today cast it as far away from you as the east is from the west to cleanse your heart from this sin. First John says that if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us. And that's the first part. And then he says he'll also cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So one is <clears throat> the transgression and the other is the unrighteousness or the unrightness or the iniquity about us. And so Father, we're in different places, but Lord, we come to you right now, and I just ask, Lord, that you would extend faith to us. Faith is a gift of God. Faith is something that you impart to us, that you and you alone can change our identity. You and you alone can, can, can shift, can make a shift happen at that deep of a level. But Lord, we have to surrender to you. We have to, number one, believe that your word is true, and we have to believe that it is for us. That when you wrote that, that when Isaiah saw that, he didn't just see an event in history. He saw, he saw an open door for Harry. He saw a promise to Harry. That 2,000 years later, in Port Huron, Michigan, Harry could put his faith in a God whose, whose scarred hands were reaching down for Harry's scars and his bruised body was welcoming Harry's bent soul. And you, 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 you did it for me. You've done it for several others. Even, even this week, Romeo's telling stories about he's waking up in the middle of the night just with this overwhelming realization that he is a child of God and that he is exactly home. <laughs> God, we want to, we want, we all, I want all of us to have that. I want all of us to wake up in the middle of the night for no other reason than just the realization that, wow, God loves me. My identity is holy. My identity is righteous. I am a child of God. My first inclination is to serve him. My first thought is to, is to love him. I, 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 I'm back in the garden with him, walking in fellowship with him. Nothing between my soul and the Savior. Not of this world's elusive dreams. I've renounced all sinful pleasure. Keep the way clear. Let nothing between. Lord, let us, let us find that. Let us receive that from you, that identity. We receive it by faith. We put our faith in it. Put our faith in your word. We stand on your word. Accept the finished work of Calvary for us. In Jesus' name, amen.